In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Jonathan West is our guest today on Money Tales. Jonathan's dad died when Jonathan was five years old. His mother raised him and his two older sisters, supporting the family through her single income. As Jonathan explains, he was always having to piece things together about how the family was doing financially. But his mom's rule was it's not a kid's place to worry about the money. She was trying to protect Jonathan and his siblings and make them feel safe. While he understands that, in hindsight, he felt it was a missed opportunity for his personal financial education. Jonathan is the founder and head of the family at Time Capsule Family Connections. Time Capsule is an in-depth legacy building company that specializes in helping make sure kids never have to fully lose their parents or their advice again. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three Money Tales conversation topics that Jonathan hits on in this conversation. First, what it felt like to grow up with a mom who worked full-time while his friends' mothers all stayed at home. Second, the financial pressures of an active social life. And third, how being in debt can feel suffocating and how it forces you to weigh the trade-offs between personal freedom and financial freedom. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales. Now, onto our conversation with Jonathan Wess. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cammie and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hey, Cammie, how are you doing today? I'm great. It's good to see you, especially after we were just in person at our firm's offsite, which was so special. Just for our listeners, we get to get our whole firm together across the country, bring them into one location for two and a half days of fantastic learning, culture building, having fun together. And given what we've all just been through with the global pandemic, it was so great to see everybody. You too, Sandy. We get to see each other on Zoom, but we actually got to sit next to each other. It was a lot of fun. And my favorite part of our Chief Conference is the very end. And that last day, we give members of our firm our core value awards. These are people who have really stood up and exemplified the core values of our firm. And it's really wonderful to honor them for their special contributions to the work that we do and to how they serve our clients, whether directly or indirectly. And then the grand finale is having a client come tell a story about their experience at Experian. And this year was particularly special because rather than having one client share a story, we had three. We had a client panel and they were fantastic individuals who made all of us feel really great for doing the work that we do and helped us understand the importance of that work. Yeah, Sandy, as I was listening to our clients 
all of whom were women, it was really fun to have the lens of money tales and hear them have money conversations up on stage and the confidence they shared and the vulnerability, once again, really powerful. Absolutely. Let's go ahead and transition. It's my pleasure to welcome our guest today, Jonathan West. It's wonderful to be talking with you on Money Tales. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here talking with you guys today. Please introduce yourself and share two to three pivotal moments that really influence the person you are today. As you said, my name is Jonathan West. I am the founder of a company called Time Capsule Family Connections, which is a legacy building company that provides the questions for a more heartfelt legacy. And what that whole thing is about is telling stories in the most authentic and in-depth way to make sure that you leave something behind, not only to future generations, but to your future self. So you can see how much you've grown, but also so your family and your friends get to know that story. I got to start off, I think, by saying that the most pivotal moment, I think the things that influenced me the most was my father passing away. And with that event happening, I was raised completely by women to the point where I had a few nannies. They were women. I had two sisters, my grandmother, my great-grandmother, my mother, and even the men in the neighborhood weren't really around. My aunts, my uncles, most of them lived elsewhere. So with that, I think that with him passing away, it changed the whole family dynamic. My mother became a single mother of three young children when he passed away. How old were you, Jonathan? I was five. I have two older sisters. So I had one that was seven and one I think that was 12. So that was very much a big part of my story, which I later turned into my business, Time Capsule, to try and help people that had lost a parent young to never have to go through not having a parent's advice, not being able to learn stuff from a parent like I did. I had to do a lot of research and about 10 years worth of research to actually find out who my dad was. So I created this company to make sure that kids like me could still go to school and be like, oh yeah, my dad taught me that. And even though he died years ago, I wanted to make sure that it was easy for them where they could just sign up for something and leave something behind and parents could leave that behind and make sure that they are continuously learning and growing. And even better, the reason why I created it so young on purpose was so that way people would start now. And that way, when they had kids, when they did grow a little older, their kids could see who they were today, who they were at 20, 23, 18. And then they get to see who they grew up to be and get to see the life that they had beforehand. So My father passing away is the biggest change of my life. And I think definitely influenced who I am today and what I do with my life because of it. Wow, Jonathan, that's a powerful story. Can you tell us what it was like growing up from a money perspective? I grew up in a middle-class neighborhood in Williamsville, New York, right outside of Buffalo. And that was definitely interesting from a standpoint of having a family of four with only one income and then having most of my friends have two parents and sometimes making as much as my mother and sometimes would be making much more. And they would just kind of expect that I had certain things or would do certain things or go certain places. And really what my mom had to trade off was, did we want to have the nice house and nice cars and the boat in the second house? Or did we want to go on vacations? And did we want to make sure that schooling was at least paid for in somewhat shape and form? Do we want to make sure that we're living within our means, which is what my mom chose. My mom chose to take us out and experience the world. 
other people were saving for those second houses, those boats. My mother made the decision that we were going to go out and experience other things. So a lot of the time, what other people were perceiving, this almost opulence of wealth was just us having a choice to make and doing what my mom thought would be more beneficial to us than what everyone else was doing, which was getting an iPhone at a young age. We didn't have the luxury of having that second income. So my mother had to make it look a certain way and treat us like she thought we deserved, but within the means that we had. I'm always curious about perceptions. And you said that people had expectations about what you could or couldn't afford. What do you think that's founded in? Just to go back a little bit, because I think it really plays well into what you just said. I say that I live in not only a bubble, but in a mock 1950s type neighborhood where all the kids played until the lights came on and ice cream truck went down the street and someone was putting up a white fence someplace. Because of that, there was always that standard to do. And I think it was because a lot of their parents and their grandparents had that sort of life where they all had houses. And then we all saw it and assumed that because our parents had nice things, that we must have been that way. Very homogeneous, it sounds like, from an economic perspective. A hundred percent. A lot of my friends' parents were stay-at-home moms. They could afford that or were part-time nurses or a receptionist and stuff like that. And my mom was a director of operations for a distribution company. It was a very different type of thing, which my mom pretty much told us. We live very differently than the people around us. But there's an expectation that we had all that stuff because that was the community that we lived in. Everyone had it. So why don't you? It sounds like your mom was talking to you and your sisters a lot about money, grounding you in the values that she was setting for the family. But there's still just a difference between your family's lifestyle and your friend's lifestyle. So did you talk to your mom about that, Jonathan? How did you reconcile the two different behaviors or situations? I would love to say that I was confident enough to talk to my mom about that. But as we all know, money is still a little bit taboo. I was always having to piece things together about how we were doing. And my mom's rule was, it's not a kid's place to worry about the finances. Let me worry about it. I got it. And there would be times where I'd actually talk to her about it and be like, do we need something? Is there something like that? And that wasn't on my mom's radar. She was like, no, you save your money. Big picture, she's talking to you about the general lifestyle, but she doesn't want to talk about the specifics of money. You have questions. How did that make you feel? She's trying to protect you. Did you feel protected or did you have a different response? I felt kind of protected in the respect that I respect her now because of it, because now I do manage a lot of my own money. She does help me with that stuff. We start to talk about that more now than we did when I was younger. But when I was growing up, it definitely helped with the whole aspect of having only one parent. But it also didn't help because I would ask for things and assuming that we could afford it because I was a little brat when I was younger and was surrounded by people with money. So I assumed that we had it too, which was not correct. We were one of those families that were comfortable. We never had to worry about the lights turning off or stuff like that. But there was a point where you had to live within your means. My mom had three kids plus herself that she had to take care of. And then still my grandmother and my great-grandmother came over every Saturday and Sunday. So on top of that, my mom also helping my grandmother and great-grandmother. So It definitely changed the way that I looked at my mom in that sense is the fact that she really did help us and trying to make us feel safe and make us feel like 
we were okay and we're going to be okay. There was a point in time where unfortunately she lost her job after 35 years. And my sister and I had to look at each other and be like, are we going to be okay? And my mom didn't blink for a second. She said yes. And she went to quote unquote work full time, finding a job and ended up finding one a few months later and we were fine. But I respected her more of the fact that she knew what she was doing enough that she had certain expectations she had to lead. I wish I would have known more about the money when I was younger because I would have done things a little differently. Say more about that, Jonathan. I'd like to know. So you wish you were having more money conversations and more transparency. And do you think you could have handled it at that younger age? I think that I could have at a certain point. There was a certain point where I was in the conversations about different school budgets and different club budgets. Dating as far back as middle school, I remember seeing my first club budget and having to manage it with the teacher at large and being like, okay, so how much do we have for this? How much do we have for that? And then eventually even going as far as to being part of the massive team of students. I want to say there was 80 of us that got to see the different budgets in high school and got to see how that worked. What a great development opportunity. It was amazing. And I still have friends from that that I meet from time to time because we all were part of it. But at that point in time, I feel like I could have handled it because I was looking at numbers as big as $25 million some days. It was great. It was a lot of fun. And we all had to vote on the budget and if it was going to be brought and how to do that, stuff like that. So we learned a lot about leadership and about management. But early on, especially, I wouldn't say that I would have liked to know about it when I was 12. But when I was starting in high school, I would have liked to have that conversation because I would have not asked for some things. I would have been like, okay, I have to save for this. Where instead, I thought the expectation was the fact I could ask for it and it would be given to me for Christmas or my birthday or something like that. My mom was not the type of person that would just buy stuff randomly. She was like, oh no, put it on the list for your birthday. Put it on the list for Christmas. And those are the two times that we got stuff. My grandmother would most likely spoil us more than my mom would in that sense. I think that the biggest thing to that is I would have liked to know when I started to grow up. And I started to know those numbers and I started to learn how to do that, how to manage a budget and how to manage that. And where are we right now? And what is break even for us? I think that's a big thing is I didn't know that people outside of a business, personal finance, you break even at some point in time. You don't make any more, then you go in debt after that. And that's not something that we talked about is where was our break even point? How much do we have to spend? My mother never really spent anything on herself. You were building a lot of curiosity, it sounds like, about money in high school. Jonathan, how did that manifest into decisions you made after high school and the direction you're taking your life? It definitely helped from a managing a budget standpoint. However, it didn't help from a personal budget standpoint. Getting to see the big numbers and having big numbers to deal with, especially in high school, was an amazing opportunity that helped me with my business and helped me with other businesses. And I'm also a small business consultant. So I definitely have helped other businesses manage their budgets. It could be a couple grand or it could be up to about 110,000 is the biggest budget that I did after college so far. And it helped me because I had money there. It was because we didn't talk about money that often. I think that no matter how many times my mom told me to save, I didn't. And I ended up moving out of the house very prematurely putting myself in quite a bit of debt because I couldn't afford it. And I thought I could. And that was something that was great. But I almost wish that we sat down and talked about numbers more often because I feel like it would have helped me. Just now, am I learning how to save? I'm back at home because of that. Because I was like, okay, it's time for me to pay off that. I'm starting to put a lot of dreams on hold 
because of it. Like, I really want to move to New York City. I really do love New York, but I can't afford it because of all the debt that I have. Thank you for bringing to life this idea that you can be exposed to these numbers and really be budgeting, but they were not related to you. When it becomes emotional and personal, it's really hard to take your knowledge from what you were doing in high school to yourself. What would be your advice, maybe to yourself four years ago or to any of our listeners, to take steps to be more intentional with your budgeting? Just because everyone else is spending that money doesn't mean that you have to, I think would be the biggest thing. Because for me, my friends were very good at budgeting and didn't go out as much as I did. A lot of my friends had a very close group of friends two or three that would go out all together, but I had multiple groups of two or three. I still do. So I'm going out consistently. I'm always doing that. So then when I see someone else that's splurging on a meal, I'm like, oh yeah, it's just this one time, but it would be the third time that week that I did that. Or I will go shopping with a friend, but that's the third time that week that I went shopping. And then back then I was like, oh, I have to buy something to make them feel better. But in reality, that wasn't what I needed to do. They were going shopping for the first time in a month, and I was going shopping for the third time that week. They're in different circumstances. So just because they're buying something, you have to think about their lifestyle that was different than yours. I love my friends, and my friends are amazing. And even when I ran into money troubles, I used to buy my friends things all the time just because I love them, and that's one of my love languages. So I would see things that they like. I would surprise them with it throughout the year. So I won't buy birthday gifts or I won't buy Christmas gifts, but I'll surprise them with gifts all throughout the years. And when I hit money problems, my friends bought me things. And that was the biggest moment I think to date was it showed that they weren't there because I was buying them things. It was them being like, no, let me do this for you this time. Let me buy the coffee. Let me buy this shirt. The amount of times that I said, no, you don't have to. I'm good. I just like it. You don't have to do that. And they would do it anyway. some of the stuff that I treasure because of it. Those are great friends. They're amazing. I spent a lot of time procuring these friends. If I would have had these friends when I was younger, when I started my college journey, I think it would have been different, especially if I was in this case that I am in now, because I think it would have helped me to know that they would have been there. I didn't have to prove anything to them. But when I was younger, I wanted to prove that I could be there. I think a good support system also helps with money because you need that. Jonathan, tell us more about that going into debt originally. What did that feel like? And what led you to talk to your friends about that situation? Because for a lot of people, that can be embarrassing. And we all are our own worst enemies. And it can be really difficult to talk about money in those situations. Tell us more about your experience. I moved out of the house due to just wanting to get my own life. That was it. My family is very, very close. And I knew that I could continue to be close to my family if I wasn't in the house. My friends knew that. So they knew how much I was paying for rent. They helped me look for apartments. They were there. So when I went into debt because I couldn't afford it, it was almost a matter of fact. We all knew it was going to happen. I talked about it with one of my friends in quite a bit of depth, even going as far as to tell her numbers about what I think I'm going to go into debt with what credit card I'm using, why I'm using that, that kind of stuff. And an older friend at the time who she had already been into quite a bit of debt and had warned me. Actually, the same amount of debt that I'm in now is how much she was in. And she warned me at how suffocating it can feel. But I also had to either put getting my own life or feeling suffocated and with something that I did to myself. And I chose the latter, which I would choose again 
but I feel like there was a different solution to that. And I just chose the one that I thought made me sound like the most grown up. Again, don't do things because your friends are doing them. Don't get me wrong. I'm the first one driven off that bridge. However, just don't follow me. I think that's why I became comfortable with me is because we did talk about it at the bar and I'm hoping to move to New York with my best friend. Her and I talk about that stuff often. How much money do we need? How much debt am I in? Am I paying it down? What's my savings looking like? Should I have a savings? Should I pay off some of this debt? What is all those things? And because it was just so natural to talk about it, my friends and I have just continued and kept the ball rolling. So it didn't become embarrassing to talk about with my friends. It was embarrassing to talk about it with the business community because everyone assumes that when you're a founder, you're wealthy beyond all belief and that you're a CEO because you can be and that you don't have a second job and all those things to make end meet. So that's where I got the most embarrassed to talk about. And thank God I found one of my best friends who she's just like, you're going to be embarrassed about what? Like she went ham on me and pretty much told me you're you and I'm here because I love you and I want to be by your side. I'm not here because I want you for your money. This is not what that's about. So she helped me to talk about it in the business community, to be honest. Okay, let's go a little deeper into that, Jonathan, that you choose a higher risk profession to be your own founder, to do this business. What were you thinking about at the time? You talked about debt and feeling suffocated. Do you have different feelings about taking risk? And how'd you go about making the decision to start your own business? I did the decision based purely on the fact that I went to school for entrepreneurship, needed a company. And at the time, the company that I had started that had already clients behind it wasn't making me happy. And I talked to a friend. She said, what is the company that you want to run? I told her about Time Capsule at the time. It was a VR company, but technology isn't there yet. I'm not there yet. We're not doing that. She goes, well, why not? Just start something. And that's pretty much what we do. I am the type of person that when I want something, I go after it. It may not always work out, but I take that risk because someone told me a long time ago, use your age to your advantage. And when you're younger, make a bunch of mistakes and just say, well, I was young and move on. And I took that to heart and I still do to this day. This is the only time in my life that I'm going to be able to blame it on my age. I think that risk right now, I still feel like I could take a lot of risk and I still have a lot of stocks, a lot of things that I've lost a lot of money in that I still take because of that whole mindset of I'm young, I'll make it up later if I just keep moving and I just keep hustling. But I still feel suffocated. There's just a difference to it. I'm a functional suffocation. I keep going with what I want to do because I know that one day it will pay off because I believe in what I'm doing. I believe that what I'm doing will help a lot of people. I believe that this is what I need to be doing. So I'm actually about to go into more debt, unfortunately, for the next stage of my business, which is fine. I'm willing to take that on for the next stage. But that aspect of suffocation is still very real because I had to move back home. And now it's crazy to be back home after living by yourself. And then having to trade off personal freedom for financial freedom is something that I'm consistently thinking about and definitely is the source of my suffocation sometimes where I realize how much debt I'm in. And I have the credit score app and I'm looking to see how much money is based on it. I don't will pay my credit card and I try to make sure that my credit score is keeping up and that I'm doing okay. But it definitely is always on my mind. It's always there. The fact that I have this, the fact that I borrowed money from my mother, the fact that I have that debt from the credit cards and I have the debt from school and my car and 
It's always in the back there. But I also know that I'm doing payments on it. A little bit of everything's being paid off right now. And I will pay off that stuff. And I have plans for all this. The only way that I keep moving is knowing that I have plans. It will get there. It's just going to take me a minute, which is why I also have a part-time job. I'm continuing to look for another job in my field because I know that it will save me from feeling that cramps. But the thing that I most get dashed at, and I tell people that, is they're just, well, why don't you pick up any job? Because I have gotten offers from jobs before that I've turned down. And it's because if I'm going to be doing that, I'm not going to sacrifice my happiness. So I do go after jobs that I believe I can be in and love and do a lot of work for and be happy with it because it's not just about money. The money's a plus, but the team is a must. That's what I say. Money is a plus, but the team is a must. That's how I look for jobs. So there's that balance too. That's always going on in my head. That never ends. It's just, it's always in the background. There's always something up front. And then I'm like, oh, I remember I have to pay the credit card today. Or yes, I have to pay the car or something like that. I just did that actually before getting on this call. I'm functioning suffocation because of that aspect of my life that I keep going and keep moving and keep making mistakes on purpose and I'll pay it off over time. Of course, with me getting older, I'm starting to realize I'm only going to get a few more years of this before I got to have to stop that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us in such detail. I think that's really helpful for our listeners to hear. And I appreciate how you are really intentional about the decisions you're making and you're looking at all the different trade-offs in the grand scheme of your life and what drives you and what makes you happy as opposed to just paying attention to the dollars and cents. I also really appreciate what you're doing with Time Capsule. I think it's such a beautiful way to take a very moving and pivotal experience that you've had. And it sounds like has really grounded you for your life of losing your dad at such a young age and creating a platform where other people can record and share their stories and their learnings with each other for posterity, that does take a lot of capital. It sounds like it's a very technology-focused company. Could you just briefly tell us how you pivoted from your personal financial situation toward creating Time Capsule and how you made decisions about how to fund and capitalize that company? I had to think about it in two separate ways. There's two separate spreadsheets. Therefore, I'm not thinking about my debt when I go into more debt for Time Capsule. I'm thinking about how much the company's taking on, which is a big thing. And that comes from years and years of managing budgets. I cannot think about my own personal circumstance when I'm looking at a budget for Time Capsule. Really, what I've been doing is family and friend fundraising and then applying for grants and things just now because Time Capsule just hit their third version. Our third version is now up and running and just happened within the last couple of months. So I'm comfortable now going after more and more funding, but a lot of it came from my own pocket and my family up front. So really, when I do budgets for that, it's a much different mindset because I'm thinking of the payoff that's going to come from me buying an ad or me doing that. So I'm pretty much banking on money that's going to come in from something else. And almost going into debt to make up that money later, which usually I at least break even if not make money from those things. So that's where my mindset is. Like I said, though, that just comes from budgeting where I know that right now I don't have the money for this, but I know that if I pay this off, this will work and that should go into something else, which is a dangerous way to look at it. But when you're a startup, it's common. All of that comes from experience with just doing large budgets and having to know that this is how much money we have, but this is how much we need. 
how much can we play off of what's coming up, which is very different than what I do for myself. Of course, none of what I'm paying for other than the stocks I buy will ever have any kind of return on investment. So when I pivoted, I put myself in a mindset of the business is going to grow. And I'm doing this as an investment where when I do my own, I'm like, yeah, I don't need that shirt. I can just peel back my funding for myself where time capsule is a little different. I believe you have to spend money to make money and it's been fine for time capsule thus far. When I transitioned into my own startup, I definitely took all of that experience that I had in budgeting, all the experience I had from other people telling me. I also had a financial co-founder for a while and he did a lot of that stuff as well. I brought in a couple of financial interns because I'm not a financial type person. So it definitely took a lot of learning and a lot of pulling together different experiences that I've had to switch my mindset into this is a business and not my personal. Jonathan, what's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? My next money conversation will probably be with my grandmother, to be honest. It'll probably be about where she's at and more specifics to try and convince her that you need help to get to the next level and make sure that she's budgeting. Well, not that she can't, she's very smart, but that will probably be the next one that me and my family have with her. You have a really great team. As you talk about your family, I like the support and the encouragement you provide each other. And one thing you said, when you want something, you go for it. And I love that. And We really want to celebrate your success thus far and hope Time Capsule continues to be a great success, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us on Money Tales. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.